So, Eric, you're a history guy. I know you like looking at history and, and researching the history of a particular story. So I've been told. I had once heard the tale of a creature known as the Beast of Jivadan, which, pardon my French, I'm going to probably get some of these names. All wrong. puns in- intended. And this is a historical account of a beast which terrorized parts of France back in the 1700s. That's back a day or two. I thought this would be right up your alley, sir. But tonight, that's our topic of conversation. We're going to talk about the Beast of Jivadan. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So let's start with this. We're going to talk about the Beast of Javadan. Javadan. As, as you can s- tell by the way we pronounce that, that's a French word. There are a lot of French names that are going to come up today, and we are going to butcher them because we don't speak French. Oui, oui, monsieur. So I'm going to try to pronounce them in, as close as I can to what I think the French pronunciation would be. And I'm going to allow Bill to do that for me as well. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I did not take the time to look up and listen to every one of these. The phonetics. So, yeah. You can get mad at me if you speak French or you understand what I'm doing wrong, and that's perfectly fine. I'm okay with that. <laughs> so, but the Beast of Jivadan is the historic name given to a man-eating animal or animals that terrorized the former province of Jevadan in the Marguerite Mountains of south-central France. Uh, it is what would modern-day be Lozier and parts of Haute-Laurie. Again, I, I apologize. I'm going <laughs> to mess these up. Uh, as well as the Auvergne and the southern Dordogne areas of France. The attacks covered an area spanning 2,800 square miles. So this beast big. was all over the place. Again, these attacks were said to have been committed by one or more beasts, and the descriptions vary, but the, most of them agree on the following. The beast was formidable, had formidable teeth and a long tail. Most descriptions of the period identify the beast as either a striped hyena, wolf, dog or wolf-dog hybrid. Most descriptions again vary, but and many appear to have been exaggerated, but generally what we accept was that it was a wolf-like canine with a tall, lean frame capable of taking great strides, uh, the size of a calf, a cow, or in some cases as big as a horse. It had an elongated head like a greyhound with a flattened snout, pointed ears with a wide mouth atop a broad chest. The tail was notably longer than a wolf's with a tuft at the end, and its fur was said to be tawny or russet in color, the back being streaked black with a white heart-shaped pattern on its underbelly. Mm-hmm. Now, a poster printed in 1764 used the following description. And I quote, reddish brown and with dark ridge stripe down its back, resembles wolf slash hyena, but big as a donkey, long gaping jaw, six claws, pointy upright ears and supple furry tail, mobile like a cat's and can knock you over. Cry more like horse neighing than a wolf howling. Now you mentioned the color, the kind of that tawny, yeah. orangish. Are there wolves that are really that color? I mean, I know there's wolves various vary. grays, browns, blacks, we, whites. Well, in America, we're familiar with the gray wolf, and that's literally what they call it, the gray wolf. 
Uh, there are reports even of gray wolves that are black. There was a monstrous black wolf filmed somewhere up north, I want to say maybe towards Yellowstone not that long ago. Hmm. So wolves do vary in color, and, and European wolves are a different breed. So Now, the tail, I thought, was very intriguing, Something too. Something like a cat's. Yeah, like a tiger or a big cat's. Some stories claim that maybe this wasn't a wolf at all, which is the accepted kind of explanation now, but there was a possibility that it was a lion or some sort of great cat that had either migrated or been released. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, and some people say it was a hyena even, but another paper at the time described the beast as the size of a young bull. It likes to attack women and children. It drinks their blood, cuts off their heads and carries them off. Now there were people who at the time were totally convinced this wasn't even a wolf, that maybe this was a werewolf or Lugaru oh, yes. uh, or, or what they called a wolf whisperer, which was, was someone who had trained a pack of wolves to do his bidding. I'd read that too. Or someone that used possibly a, a mastiff cross. Yeah. Uh, and someone was commanding them to attack. You mentioned the Lugaru, the werewolf. You stated this thing, and it, it does vary in size, but from a bull to a donkey to a horse. Yeah, they said it was, yeah. So we're, let, let's say four and a half, five foot at its back, standing on all fours. There are rumors that this thing could stand erect on its back yeah. legs. People said they had, which, which I think is probably where the werewolf part of this came from. Yes. Can you imagine, though, the size? That would have to be 10, been a big 12 old, foot tall, big monster. maybe? Wow. And again, I mean, it was just, it was this beast that was terrorizing the countryside. Victims were most often killed by having their throats ripped out. Preferred victims, as claimed at the time, were women and children, and above all, small girls. Uh, With a report in the press at the time that reported um, that the beast removed the victim's head and drank all her blood. So this beast was given, you know, he could do all kinds of crazy things. I read a lot of times where it would crush the skull. Uh, the yeah. victim. So again, think about the mouth size required to wrap around, you know, even a, a young person's uh, skull. That that's a big mouth. The government spent a considerable amount of money at the time and dedicated an immense amount of manpower to hunt these animal or animals, including the resources of several nobles, soldiers, royal huntsmen, and civilians. Now, the number of victims is going to differ according to your source, obviously. But varies one, a lot. One nineteen eighty seven study estimated there were as many as six hundred and ten attacks, resulting in as many as five hundred deaths and forty nine injuries. Five hundred deaths. Yeah. Ninety eight victims that were killed and partially eaten. And this was over a period of like two to three years. I think it starts in seventeen sixty four and goes on for a couple of years and, and I have those dates in here. And also the beast was reportedly killed several times before the attack stopped. Which, which kind of alludes to there was more than one. Yeah. To give a little background. In 1764, things in France were not great. (laughs) Not a good place. Uh, The Seven Years' War had ended, with France suffering numerous defeats. The king had lost the bulk of his country's overseas empire, which included what's now known as Canada. The economic situation was dire, and the country was in chaos. And despite the terror that it brought, the beast did serve as a perfect foe to help bring the nation together. So, common enemy. Maybe someone had ulterior motives. One of the theories is that the beast was trained by local nobles to prey on locals. Are you saying this was corrupt politics? Corrupt politics. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, the first recorded attack occurred in the early summer of 1764. And this is where we're going to start running into all kinds of French words that I don't know. Wee oui, wee. Oui. So, wee oui, wee oui will make mistakes. <laughs> a, a young woman was tending cattle in the Mercure Forest near the town of Langon in the eastern part of Javadan. 
Now, I know Javadan is spelled that way or pronounced that way because I've heard it. So I know I'm getting that one. And I believe the, the young lady's name was Marie Jeanette Vallée. Um, actually, that is not her. That is not her? She, that, she is actually in a later story, which okay. commonly gets mixed up with this particular story. All right. So that's okay. I, I had to amend my notes as well. Hmm. Um, See, we're learning yeah. together. But she saw a beast like a wolf and yet not like a wolf come at her. The bulls in the herd charged the beast and kept it at bay, and they drove it off after it attacked a second time uh, and just kept her protected. Two months later, the first victim of the beast was recorded. A 14-year-old, Jean Boulet, was killed near the village of Le Hubox near Lagon, uh, the same town. And later in August, another young girl was killed, and with her the breath described the animal as a horrible beast. At the end of August, a young boy watching sheep disappeared, and he was later found partially eaten. Now, throughout the rest of 1764, multiple attacks were recorded across the region, and the populace was soon swept up in the terror of the tales of the beast, repeatedly preying on lone men, women, and children as they tended livestock in the forest around Javadan. Reports claim that the beast seemed to target the victim's head or neck exclusively, like you said, with the mm-hmm. crushed skulls, ripped out throats. Often tearing off limbs and stuff, too. On October 8th, hours after an attack, the beast was seen at Chateau de la Baume, stalking a herdsman. Hunters followed the animal into the woods and forced it into the open, where they shot at it with a volley of musket fire. Now, if you're not familiar with how muskets work, you only really get one shot with these things. They take about five minutes to get ready to shoot again. Yeah. yeah. So you've probably seen where they got to pack the powder and all that stuff. Now it's, after- a, it's a splatter spray yeah. at best. I mean, yeah. Now, after the beast fell, it got up and ran off. So they thought they had killed it, and they had not. Now, I read some speculation that if you want to believe that someone was using this creature to hunt yeah under command some sketches and some accounts said that it wore a type of armor possibly made from boar's skin like a leather armor and maybe that could deflect some of there is a movie from Mm -hmm. early 2000s brotherhood of the wolf i think where that story is sort of 2001. But in that movie, which I I watched it, 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 they do use it a a lion, I think, that they put some sort of armor onto. And yeah, it was inspired by some of these older stories about the Beast of Givadan. Now, by December of 1764, rumors had circulated there might be more than one beast on the prowl. Due to the sheer number of attacks and the amount of time between the attacks, with some attacks appearing to occur almost simultaneously. Well, and as you said earlier in the podcast, that region was huge. Yeah, just it was like twenty. The whole philosophy yeah. we joke about Jesse James. If he robbed all the places that yeah. they say he did, yeah. he must have had a turbo engine <laughs> strapped on him. I'm- now, some accounts suggest that the creature was seen with another similar animal, while others say that the beast was accompanied by its young. So again, whether it was multiple animals or a pack or a family, what have you. Now, January twelfth, seventeen sixty-five. Jacques Portefeuille and seven of his friends were attacked, and after several attacks, they managed to drive the beast away by staying huddled together. Now, this encounter came to the attention of Louis XV, who would go on to award 300 livres, livres I believe. To, to Portefeuille and another 350 to be shared amongst his companions. He also awarded Portefeuille an education at the state's expense and then decreed that the French state would help find and kill, kill this beast. the beast. Now, again, at this point, you know, most of the attacks seem to be taking place out in the forest, the mountainside. Often it's uh, a herdsman, you know, looking over their, their well, flock or whatever. Most often it was people tending to herds. I found a couple stories where it said the beast would literally go into town and snatch people up 
off their doorstep and then <laughs> drag them out while people are watching and screaming. Well, you'd have to assume it develops a certain amount of courage after a while. It keeps killing people and they're not doing anything about like, it. That's that's the stuff of horror movies and stuff right there. You're just watching your neighbor out there, you know, putting a, a bowl of milk out for the cat or something and <laughs> snarf, this big thing comes running through and just carries them off. Yeah, that would be something. <laughs> I, I Yeah, I couldn't imagine. That's crazy. After the king declared that the state would help kill the beast, first Captain Duhamel of the Clermont Prince Dragoons and his troops were sent to Javadan. And though he was zealous in his efforts, the non-cooperation from local herders and farmers stalled his efforts. Like, he tried. He legit they, tried. They didn't seem to want to really help no, him. No, they didn't really want to help him. On multiple occasions, he almost shot the beast, only to be hampered by the incompetence of his own guards. According to him. According to him. <laughs> yeah, true. According <laughs> it wasn't to him. my fault. It was yeah. my guards. They're incompetent. They, they were doing all kinds of things. They, they tried different methods. They tried to leave out poison bait even to the point of dressing his soldiers as peasant women, <laughs> since the beast seemed to prefer to attack women. You are the most incompetent. Dress up as a woman. Go yeah. out and sit in the forest. <laughs> Apparently, this affected the morale of his men I dramatically. I can't imagine why. Yeah. What's your name again? Bait. Yeah, that's what we're going to call you. <laughs> Apparently, he got very, very frustrated when local villagers were not present and ready as the beast crossed the Trier River. I mean, apparently, they had it right there dead to rights, but the locals would not help him. And... You would think the locals say, would why, want to. Why do you think they didn't want now, to help him? I think, again, there was a disconnect between the locals and the nobles, obviously. They are two so, separate uh, Yeah, I groups, think they saw him know. as an outsider, you know. And probably knew he was going to be getting a, a fairly good reward or payment. So, yeah, we ain't helping you. Now, with the lack of success with Duhamel and his dragoons, uh, Louis XV sent two professional hunters. This is a name, let me tell you right here. <laughs> Jean-Charles-Marc-Antoine Vamezel de Enneval. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Could you repeat that again? Jean-Charles-Marc-Antoine Vamezel de Enneval. Oh, okay. And his son, Jean-Francois. And his son, okay. This, I am going to say- his son. I'm going to say the de Ennevals from now on. <laughs> but the de Ennevals arrived in the region on February 17, 1765, and they brought eight bloodhounds specifically trained to hunt wolves. These guys meant business. Yeah. They're the professionals. And these Call are the, the big guns. So Captain Duhamel was forced to stand down, and he returned to headquarters. For him, cooperating with the de Ennevals proved to be impossible. They had, their, their strategies were too far different. Duhamel was organizing wolf hunting parties while de Ennevals believed that the beast could only be shot from stealth. You had to sneak up on it. And Duhamel was using way too many men to do this. So, so Duhamel left. He took his troops and he went home. Uh, over the next four months, the Danavals hunted for Eurasian wolves, believing that the beast had to be one of these. And when the attacks continued, eventually the Danavals were replaced. On June 22nd, 1765, Francois Antoine arrived in the region, and he was the king's sole arquebus bearer and lieutenant of the hunt. Now, arquebus. If I'm sure you are familiar with the term, uh, for those of you that don't know, it was a primitive style of shotgun, basically. And I believe these things even had a chance of exploding in your face when you pulled the trigger on them. But this was the only guy that owned one. So apparently he was the only guy qualified to shoot. You're these qualified. Now, while Antoine was hunting the beast on August 11th, a Marie Jean Valet managed to defend herself from from the creature uh, and even wound the beast, earning her the title of the Maiden of Javadan. And today, a statue stands in her honor in the village of Alvers. I believe it shows her with like a spear, yeah. maybe, or something. So on September 20th or 21st, accounts vary, Antoine killed a large gray wolf. Now listen to this. Yeah, I was going to say, listen to this size. The beast was nearly three foot tall at the shoulder, 
was five to seven feet long and weighed over 130 pounds. That's a big wolf. Uh, they named it the Beast Le Loup de Chazé, after the nearby Abbe de Chazé, and it was said to have been quite large for a wolf. I would think so. Yeah. Five to seven foot long, almost three foot tall. That's a, I would consider a quite large wolf. Yes. At this point, Antoine officially stated, quote, We declare by the present report signed from our hand, we never saw a big wolf that could be compared to this one. Hence, we believe this could be the fearsome beast that caused so much damage. This is the one. Uh, it was further identified by attack survivors that the beast in question had recognizable scars on its body inflicted by the victims who were defending themselves. And eventually it was stuffed and sent to Versailles, uh, where Antoine's son, Antoine de Botern, was hailed as a hero. Why they got the two of them confused, I don't know, but his son got the credit for the kill. So Antoine stayed in the Alvern woods to chase down the female partner of the wolf they had killed and her two pups. Now, he would eventually succeed in killing the she-wolf and a single pup, which already seemed to be larger than its mother at this point. The pup also seemed to have a double set of dew claws, which is a hereditary deformity found in the Bas Rouge or Boucheron dog breed. So at this point in time, this wasn't just a pure dog. Yeah, this is pure some wolf. form this of was a, a hybrid. Yep. The other pup was shot and believed to have died while retreating. Now, Antoine returned to Paris and received a large sum of money, over 9,000 livres, as well as fame, titles, and awards. Job well done. The beast is dead. It's dead. It's over. Rest in peace. But. Is it? On December 2nd, two boys aged 6 and 12 are attacked. The beast tried to capture the younger boy, I assume by dragging him away, but was fought off by the older one, and soon after, successful, successfully more and more attacks continued. And this so, beast seemed to get more and more aggressive, yeah. didn't show fear around cattle at all. I mean, he was, pardon my French, but he was pissed off. Yeah. So another dozen deaths were reported to have followed, and the king initially chose to ignore these new attacks. He insisted that Antoine had already killed the beast, there was nothing to worry about, the beast of Verdun is dead, you know, and he just kind of sat back. It took until a set of attacks in June of 1767 before a local noble named the, the Marquis d'Apcher uh, organized a hunt to take down the this beast. This is a beast that just keeps on giving yeah. or taking. So finally, a local hunter named Jean Chastel reportedly shot the beast at the slopes of Mount Mauchet, which is now called La Son de Avers, which I, I think sounds French, <laughs> <laughs> on June 19th, 1767. So from 1764 to 1767, you have this, this string of attacks. Three years. Now, after this, after this beast is shot on, on the slopes of the mountain, the attacks do come to an end. And I believe they cut it open and found rotting yes. human body parts in yeah. the stomach. The body was taken to the, the castle of Marquis d'Apcher, and there the beast was identified as a large wolf or wolf-dog hybrid. And yeah, like you said, upon being cut open, the beast's stomach contained the remains of its last victim, a human. Now, one thing I want to point out here, we've had the king send his best, and then he ended up sending his best of the best, and then he ended up sending his right-hand man. This was just a local hunter. And, and this local hunter story grows. I think in 1889, the story grew saying that he had recited his prayers yes. before shooting the beast and used large caliber bullets made with melted down Virgin Mary medals, which was totally the, the invention of the people telling the story. And I think that's where some of the legend comes that if that metal was silver, the silver bullet, the werewolf, the now, whole connection there. Something I found quite interesting 
if you will, is that a lot of the local clergy at the time said that the beast was divine retribution for society in decline at the time, for all the, the ills that, that they were allowing to happen, all the things that people were becoming accepting of in France at the time, the beast was sent as divine retribution. I mean, does that not sound familiar to you in this day and age, this yeah. climate? Yeah. We've heard very similar things about about other uh, ills that are happening. So I found that very interesting. That, that that seems to be, you know, sort of a fallback when you have something tragic like that happen. You're being punished by God. Yeah, it's nothing new. It just yeah. c- keeps coming around in a circle. But yeah, again, you know, people thought at the time that it was a werewolf. Like you said, there were claims of seeing the beast walking upright. There were stories that said the hide could repel bullets that it had a fire in its eyes that illuminated them at all times. There was the stories of the man standing back in the background with a, like a whistle or commands, having yep. to attack certain individuals. Yeah, the, the wolf whisperers that they talked about at the time. And then other stories suggesting there's some large animal like a lion. Now, you mentioned, the featured modern movie, you had mentioned this. The, oh, yeah, Brotherhood of the Wolf. The Beast of Gavadin, or however you wish to pronounce Javadin. it. Javadin. Uh, made a recent appearance in a French movie, Brotherhood of the Wolf. That was back in 2001. Kind of generating some new interest in this 250-year-old tale. And as Bill alluded to, the beast appeared more as the offspring of a lion, uh, supplemented with armor and even spiked facial implants. Did you, you Have you seen that movie? I have, but it's been a number of years ago. It's, it's I don't remember crazy. a lot about it. I'll I, be honest. I just remember the creature design was pretty crazy. The 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 monster wasn't it like an African lion? It was a lion kinda? that they had imported and they used it for hunting purposes. And supposedly there was a seek. I believe it was a secret. I don't want to say cult, but a an organization like Brotherhood, like Brotherhood, you know, Brotherhood. yeah, Brotherhood of the Wolf, yeah, yeah. But they they were using it to terrorize the countryside. I think it was for political reasons. But again, yeah. Corrupt politics. So at a talk in 2021, Francois-Louis Pellissier, or Pellissier, uh, based on descriptions of the animal as well as behavioral details and inferred historical distribution, argued that the beast was most likely an Italian wolf. Hmm. So the beast of Javadan was, a, you know, they, they figure it was a wolf. They could have been some other large predator. It was described as hyena-like, lion-like. You know, they said it had like a cat-like tail at one point in time. The size of the monster alone, comparing it to a horse at times. That's huge. Um, well, I mean, lions are big, right? Yeah. So. Now, one thing I came across is uh, kind of down the same path. Is it a time-displaced monster? And I'm not meaning something beamed out of space from a different... Oh, I'm saying I something saw to thought that. to be extinct that yeah. somehow still survive. You know, the description, again, it varies, but in parts fits for a wolf, a hyena. Some even say possibly a bear crossed or a panther or a big cat. Uh, the combined details fail to describe uh, a single known creature for sure. I think at some point you have to say it was either extinct or thought to be extinct or it was a hybrid of some sort. Uh, the beast is described by modern cryptozoologists as a mutated bear a wolf-dog hybrid or a species of long extinct from uh, something called a mesoniched. I may be pronouncing that wrong. It is a group of predatory, thought to be extinct, mammals featuring a skull similar to a hyena, but its body about the size of a horse. This would place the the beast in question here in the realm of the Loch Ness Monster, a time-displaced but possible real creature that time has just forgotten. Well, I know another theory of the time was that the killings could have been attributed to a, a serial killer. 
you know, there were talks of the the beheadings and, and carrying off the bodies. Oh yeah, there were times that the the act the actions of the animal were not an animal actions. You know, it was they attributed a certain level of intelligence to the beast that probably you wouldn't have in an animal. But. Well, and obviously it it did eat some of its victims, but there was mentions that a lot of times it seemed to hunt more for sport. Yeah, just for the thrill of the hunt. And typically, of course, you know, an animal does not kill for sport. An yes. animal does kill purely to eat. Now, humans sometimes kill for sport, though. Well, I was going to talk about the story of the... There's the story of the Lions of Savo, which inspired the movie uh, Ghost in the Darkness, which was two lions. I enjoyed that movie, by yeah, the way. Which, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really good. But it was... The, these two lions had gotten a taste for human flesh, but again, it was almost as if they had gotten a taste for the hunt. Yeah. These lions did not always kill purely for food. They killed people just to kill people, it seemed like. Now, I believe in the end, it turned out that one of these animals was sick. Maybe both of them, I think. So there may have been explained the, the, the change in their normal behavior. Well, I mean, let's face it. In today's society, that's the reason why we put down dogs that attack. Yeah. Is the fear that once they've tasted human blood, they'll kind of revert yeah. back to that, that old aspects. I come across kind of something of interest uh, with all the various hunters from the king's men to, to locals, uh, some of the hunters devised kind of some thinking outside of the box traps. <laughs> uh, we'll put it that way. One series of weapons to defeat the beast, they said included a maniacal weapon of destruction featuring the equivalent of 30 shotguns essentially tied to <laughs> 30 ropes uh, with the ropes tied to a six-month-old calf set as bait for the beast. You talk about the poor calf, but Essentially, I guess they had this calf staked out and all these guns kind of in a circle <laughs> around it. So the calf's going to die regardless. Yeah, he's, he's, but screwed. if something comes in, the calf pulls just hard enough or strong enough, it breaks away from the one tether and the guns just start going off in all different directions. <laughs> I mean, wow, you, you wouldn't want to be too close observing that. But uh, again, the different spearheads, uh, different bows, arrows, different things that they really thought outside of the box. They tried some live traps. There was a lot of stuff, and it's just like, man, this is like right out of like Grimm's fairy tale trying to capture the werewolf in the forest. or so. I mean, it's, it's crazy. No, it, it's it's an interesting story, and my first exposure to it was as of a, a, it was a werewolf story, the first time I had heard the story. And then the Brotherhood of the Wolf movie I had watched, and I'd read, of course, about it over the years. But yeah, you know, it, it's, you have this, this beast. And again, for the, the climate of the time, it, it gave the French people something to rally behind to say, okay, things might suck, but we're being, you know, people are being killed by this wolf. We have to come together to stop it. Yep. And, and I believe in our, our episode about UFOs and the government, that's what Ronald Reagan was like. Mankind's not going to come together until we have a common enemy. So it was, well, we a good, saw that with nine, nine, 11. Yeah, it mean, was, it was a good know. rallying point for the people of France. It kind of gave them something to stand by, even though, you know, was it 500 people, as many as 500 people lost their lives. That's insane. 500 people over a period of and, three and, years. Well, again, what were we talking about? You're an area 2,800 square miles. I mean, it's, that's a huge place. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely more than one creature, but I, I will say, I think most would agree. This has to be, if not the origin story of a werewolf, Definitely the foundations of the groundwork being laid for the werewolf. And I mean, maybe the werewolf as we see it today. I'm sure people had beliefs in werewolves. Uh, I don't know, native cultures and things like that had shape-shifting entities. Skinwalkers but and yeah, such. But yeah, it's, uh, 
yeah, Dogman. This, this story, like I said, it was first brought to me the first time I heard it was as a werewolf story. And then, of course, you read more into it. It's just, it's just crazy that an animal could terrorize people like that. And, and again, like you said, I, I agree. There had to be more than one total. And, and so maybe that's why there are multiple stories of the beast being killed and then coming back and killing some more. Because, yeah, there was more than one. Well, and while I picked on Bill a little bit, this is a, a very old story. But I have to say it's probably, I mean, especially for the time frame, one of the most well-documented. Yeah. Uh, and it's a period of over three years, you know, where a lot of stories, it's like we had this one instance or one or two deaths. You know, I mean, this went on for three years. And I believe that at the time, the reward or bounty or whatever that the king posted was the record amount of money they had ever offered as a bounty for anything at that point. I want to say as high as 6,000 beavers at one point. But yeah, it was it was definitely a rallying point for the people. Even though, of course, you know, I'm sure people were terrorized to go out. And in those days, you know, you had to do those jobs. You had to tend oh, yeah. the herd. You Somebody had, to go, had out. to go out there and watch them. I'm sure they were used to dealing with regular wolves. So this was this was something altogether new to them. And I thought it was interesting. One of the early stories there, the the bulls that the one young lady was looking over defended her yeah. and drove it off. I mean, that, that I thought that was an interesting twist. Yeah, I know I give you a hard time for the history things, but... <laughs> You know, I've also, you know, sometimes we pick these these stories and, and the events happen over the span of a couple of days. Yeah. Or or a week, maybe. Yeah. And there's just not a lot of information out yeah. there. You, you try to, you, we, we try to build the best story we can with the info we got. But this was really well documented for the time. It, it's a historical well, account in French history. It's got the king's interest. Uh, and regardless of what you believe it is, the beast is something real. Yeah. Yeah, there was something there that was killed something people. there. And and when Chastel finally killed that wolf on the slopes of the mountain, the attack stopped. So you have to assume that if that wasn't the beast of Javadan, that was the last beast of Javadan. Correct, correct. Well, I think it's that time again for Nightmare Headlines. Headlines. Well, in conjuncture to me throwing ridicule at Bill and some of his old <laughs> stories, I picked up yet another old story. The Livonian Werewolf, Agents of God Himself. I don't believe I've ever heard this story. Werewolf confessions could be quite peculiar. Take Thies of Kettlebrun, living in Swedish Livon- Livonia, I believe, Livania. Yet and another name we're probably going to get We're going to butcher it. I'll just guarantee <laughs> you that. But it was during the 17th century. Now, Thies was widely believed among his neighbors to be a werewolf who had dealings with the devil. Local authorities honestly didn't care much. After all, Thies was in his 80s. What harm could he do with a few tales? But when they brought him in for questioning on a totally unrelated matter in 1691, he voluntarily began divulging details of his werewolf lifestyle, although with many inconsistencies, I might add. According to his account, Thies had given up uh, lanthropy 10 years prior to his appearance before the judges in 1691. Now, again, I thought this was interesting. He gave up, you know, most of the curse and stuff that we hear with. with he gave up lycanthropy. Yeah. He just decided to not be yeah, a werewolf. I'm going to drop it. It's like smoking. I'm going to quit smoking today. Uh, of course, the lore says that it's a curse. Yes. That you, you live with you the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. You have to die to get rid of it. But I, I thought that was that was interesting. But, shot with a silver bullet, but, according to the Wolfman. But he states that yeah, ten years ago I, I, I gave it I up. I gave it up. I gave it up. Changed my life. <laughs> um, smoking. Yeah. <laughs> Just decided to quit. I was tired of being a werewolf. Uh, I wouldn't he, quit. Uh, right. <laughs> Embrace that stuff. 
But uh, before that, he and other werewolves would change uh, into wolves, he said, on St. Lucia's Day, Pentecost, and Midsummer's Night by donning magical wolf pelts. Now, this is kind of a different twist. Although he later changed his story and said they just stripped naked and turned into wolves. That's a little similar to the Skinwalker stories, isn't it? There? The yes. Donning the wolf. Donning my, the pelt. My headline actually kind of goes that way, too. They would then maraud the countryside, killing farm animals and cooking and eating them. Now, when he, they were asked, well, how do wolves cook meat? He declared, well, we're still human. We're not wolves. <laughs> uh, his story only grew stranger. Now, so he, he was just a nutcase. <laughs> he claimed that werewolves were agents of God and that they would travel to hell to battle the devil and his witches, bringing back grain and livestock that the witches had stolen. In fact, he said he had done so just one year earlier, contradicting his earlier claim of renouncing lycanthropy 10 years ago. Lycanthropy. Lycanthropy. <laughs> when it was revealed that Thies was not a devout Lutheran, however, and indeed practiced a form of folk magic involving charms and blessings. Well, no kidding, the guy's not devout. He thinks he's a werewolf. Yeah. The judges ordered Thies flogged and exiled from the community. Now, what happened to the strange chap after that's unknown. Now, granted, he was pushing 80 years old at that time frame, being thrown out of the town after you're flogged. Probably oh, didn't was, help him any. When was this again? Uh, this was in 1691 time frame. Yeah, if you're 80 years old, exiled from society, yeah, that just, that's that a time death frame, warrant. you're pretty much dead. Yeah, that's just a death warrant. If there's a wolf or a werewolf out there, he's, yeah, you're, you're going to be plucked off. But I thought that was an interesting twist on several uh, points that he was thought to have dealings with the devil to become a werewolf, but then chose to just drop give it up the, the cursed disease that most of us consider it. Uh, but then he turned around and said, well, you know, basically God sent us and we have these magical pelts that we, that we donned and we went back and took stuff from the witches and the underworld and brought back. I wonder if werewolf the apocalypse doesn't borrow slightly from that story. In, in, in the lore of that particular game, the werewolves are crusaders for Gaia, Mother Earth. And so they lash out against evil corporations that would corrupt uh, and taint the land. So More corrupt politic kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, the whole... In the, in the terms of Werewolf the Apocalypse, the events of, like, Palestine, Ohio would be a, yeah. a huge... Like, that would have been done purposefully to taint the land, and then werewolves would have showed up to kill the monsters, and justice would have been served. <laughs> Instead, we're asking people to breathe poison fumes and drink poison water. It's all right. Go and ahead and move okay. back home. Yeah. You can't even get the politicians to drink the water in that town. Anyway. Well, that's, so, that's my tidbit, my uh, headliner. From, from ancient werewolves to modern werewolves. From Discovery.com, May 13th, 2021. The headline is Werewolf of the Mexican South. So we're going to talk about yet more names that we can butcher. These are <laughs> Mexican names that I probably am going to get wrong, but Ocuzacuatla de Espinosa, which That's is a, a mouthful. That is a mouthful. Is a small town in southern Mexico. It hugs one of the least visited natural reserves in the southernmost state of Chiapas. And it may have a werewolf problem. Ooh. In 2020, when the pandemic shut down Ocuzacuatla, news of an additional threat to the community began to spread on social media. Locals began posting videos uh, featuring recordings of a blood-curdling howl makeshift vigilantes armed with sticks and knives patrolling the streets and impromptu interviews with those who might have seen or heard something. Now, Saul Zenteno, a professor of the Tecnologico de Monterrey University, sent out a tweet that would be seen around the country. 
And this prompted Emiliano Repra, the writer of the article, to go and visit uh, Saul to find out just what was going on. Saul said, we're going to go to Juan Sabine. And he claims that, that this is where the incident happened. But what Emiliano immediately noticed was that locals refused to talk to anyone. They didn't want to talk about the werewolf. Uh, some stated they knew of the werewolf, but they didn't want to be interviewed. They didn't want to be documented as having talked about the werewolf. And Saul's contact, the woman they were going to go see, who said on the phone she had seen the werewolf and was willing to be interviewed, was nowhere to be found on the day they were this supposed to talk This kind of reminds me of the whole skinwalker aspect. You know, you don't talk about it. We'll get to that in a moment. Ooh. A local taxi driver admitted that he'd heard of the creature, and he said that it attacked a local farmer's goats, but that it wasn't a werewolf, that it was, in fact, a nahual. That's a new term I have not heard. Saul explained that the nahual was a type of sorcerer, but that a Zoke elder could explain it better. The next day, Emiliano met with Jorge de la Cruz, which was a local Zoke authority, and he explained that the nahual is a black sorcerer, a person who transforms into an animal to haunt a community that is already plagued by some kind of ill. Sounds very familiar. Very much like skinwalkers. A journalist with popular news organization Chiapas Paralelo by the name of Samuel Revueltas stated, and I quote, This is a clear case of government neglect. You have a community at the margins of society suffering the psychological trauma of the pandemic, and the government is silent for four days. Whatever it was, whether it was a wild animal or some person playing a foul joke, the authorities let it get out of hand. That is, of course, unless they were involved. He went on to theorize that he believed the werewolf sounds could have been made by a police cruiser using a speaker to force people inside. Oh, crowd control. Oh, yeah, you prey upon the locals' insecurities and folklore to drive them inside to pursue your pandemic agenda. So, yeah, I, I thought that story definitely had some sound, sounded a little bit like skinwalkers there for me when they talked about, you know, the, the no, wall. Several, several similarities. So, again, I mean, in, in, you know, the werewolf itself is, let's be honest, a skinwalker of a type, right? It changes its skin. Dogman, skinwalker, different terms. Yeah. It's like Sasquatch Bigfoot. There, there's too many similarities in, to be neglected. You can't overlook it. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this story of quite possibly the origins or the foundation of what we call the werewolf. Thanks for listening. Eric, you're a history guy. I know you you like history. Okay, hold on. I am not hearing you at all now. Are you not hearing me? Nope. Are we on? Are we plugged in? Testing, testing. Is it recording? Up. Now I heard you. Okay, I just messed with your co- cables. Oh. Uh, are you good now? Yeah, I can oh. hear you now. Why? That was weird. I don't know. Okay. Sorry. I'm just going to turn it down a little bit. It was, oh. Now I don't hear anything again. Is that better? Better or worse? Nope, nothing. Nothing. There, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you breathe. Is that better? Better, better, worse? Right what? there. Right okay. There. Okay. The economic situation was desired. The country was in chaos. I said desire, didn't I? You did say desire. Now, the bulls in her horde. Well, the bulls in her horde. <laughs> The horde of the bull. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing, and thank Bill's family 
for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. And I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it, as, hopefully, as much as we do. Thank you very much.